Welcome to Point Two Law Review. What are we doing? Well, we're we're looking at Nebraska law. We are looking at the Nebraska Supreme Court opinions. Oh wait, wait, who's we? So much we don't know. Oh, okay. First of all, uh, I'm John Brandt. I'm a lawyer out in Kearney, Nebraska, um, and and uh, my my partner here in crime is is who. And I am Carson Messersmith, the uh, dashing young associate. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Here at Anderson Klein, Brewster Brand. You want to start with dashing young associate? Dashing That's young. Fine. That's fine. That works. So we'll, we'll introduce yourself as the dashing young associate. I, I mean, also humble. I think that's also important to say. Uh, but we're both lawyers out here in Kearney, Nebraska. We have offices in Kearney, Holdridge, Minden. And then what we wanted to do, you know, some people decide at the new year, Carson, some people decide... Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to read the Bible for a year, right? Some people say, I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I I didn't choose any of those. Uh, What I chose was I'm going to, I'm going to try and go through all the uh, Nebraska Supreme Court opinions and Court of Appeals opinions every week. I'm going to be diligent about it. Right, and not, not like I wasn't, but I mean, like I'm really gonna do it this time. Every every other time, somebody would say, "Oh, did you see?" I would wait until somebody said, "Hey, did you see what they just, you know, what just dropped last week?" And then I'd go look and say, "Oh, well, that's helpful." But now I'm going to be proactive about it. And what I thought was, "Hey," and I thought this with you, of course. I thought, "Hey, what if we uh, recorded that for people?" Right? Exactly. If we're going to read. And we are going to commit to absorbing the knowledge being uh, dropped down from our Nebraska Supreme Court and Court of Appeals uh, every week. Why not share this with the greater masses and uh, take them along on our journey? Yeah, let's let's help them out. Help a fellow lawyer out. Maybe you're on your way to court. Maybe you're on your way uh, to pick up kids. Maybe you're in the kid pickup lane. Uh, maybe you're uh, waiting at a drive-through uh, for your Chipotle. Who who knows what you're doing? But maybe you can make it productive by uh, learning what the Nebraska Supreme Court and Court of Appeals have been doing this week. And uh, maybe there's something that can help you out in your practice. Right? I mean, that's the goal here. Exactly. I think this keeps uh, both of us engaged and hopefully keeps the larger audience engaged with what is going on at the Nebraska Supreme Court and Court of Appeals. How does that affect uh, something that may uh, impact you know, each of our own practices and how can we use that going forward? And, you know, we see this maybe as, oh, this is an opinion I need to read. And I think that's where the value of this comes in for both of us and uh, hopefully the larger legal community. Fantastic. So we've described what we're doing here. Uh, now we need to do the disclaimer. I think, uh, you know, we're lawyers, so we're going, oh, man, what if what if somebody was listening to this and they said... <laughs> what if someone was listening to this? Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> well, first of all, yeah, what's what's wrong with you uh, if you're not a lawyer? And, and a non-lawyer is listening to this and goes, oh, well, obviously, uh, those guys told me to go do this because they were reading Supreme Court decisions or they had this thought. Um, this is our number one disclaimer. Nothing here is at all legal advice, and and nothing here is to be taken, um, you know, incredibly seriously as far as do your own research if that's what you're going to do. I, I don't want anybody to to say oh and rely on what we talk about here in drafting a brief or or making argument with the court. You got to go read the opinion, right? I mean, so those I think are the two big things. Is we're not legal advice if you're not a lawyer, and even if you are, it's not legal advice, and uh, don't. Uh, don't rely on exactly what we're saying because uh, 
people read things wrong, Carson, right? 100%. And uh, with all uh, due respect to our law professors, we are not uh, legal scholars. We are practitioners, and we do make mistakes from time to time. And so hopefully, again, this will be a valuable resource, but nothing uh, we are saying should be taken as conclusive. Okay, so that whole you know chunk there, uh, we're almost at the point one. Um, so at the point one, um, that's not going to happen every time. We're just going to refer everybody back to episode one, so you don't. We don't have to do the the nerdy disclaimer every single time. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say episode one. But what I think we're ready for, Carson. I say I think we're ready to start talking about uh, the Nebraska Supreme Court and the Nebraska Court of Appeals and what they did this week. Uh, typically, we're going to start with the Court of Appeals and then we'll end with the Nebraska Supreme Court and then we'll wait until next week. Uh, but for this week, since it's the first one, we're going to start with the Nebraska Supreme Court, and we're going to go uh, on December 2nd. So uh, the December 2nd opinions that dropped. Am I wrong? You could, Please tell me when I'm wrong. No, that is spot on, <laughs> I believe. I, we read a calendar right. That's the first oh, part. Number one is 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 know the numbers good. And, and number two is actually try and, and interpret uh, the law and the opinions. So the first opinion, and I also want to get – can we add another disclaimer? Is it too late? No, I think we can always add one. One thousand percent, we are mispronouncing all the names <laughs> that are in this. We are we are getting the names wrong, so please do not uh, you know rely on us and uh, as far as you know how to pronounce the names. And if you do want to email us, um, you know we'll come up with an email eventually, and you can email us and say, hey, this is actually pronounced, and you can give us the phonetic spelling, and then you know you can feel good about yourself. No, absolutely, and especially if you know that uh, it was your opinion that's going to be dropping and it could be something that we'll be talking about, I would love to use the correct correct, correct pronunciation uh, of those names, so that would be wonderful. And, and you know, we, the reason I say that is because we're starting it out with something that, that Blyke? Blyke or Blyche, yes. Yeah, Blyke or Blyche. Blyche. Okay, Blyke. Okay. Blyke. What was uh, Blyke about? It was Nebraska Supreme Court? Yeah, so interesting uh, opinion out of the Nebraska Supreme Court. It was a, a dissolution of marriage uh, that occurred in uh, Venezuela, um, and uh, one party had filed for a complaint of uh, dissolution of marriage in um in Nebraska, uh, another party was saying that, hey, this marriage never even existed because of this uh, Venezuelan divorce decree um, and therefore uh, asked for a motion to dismiss that was um, granted by the district court. Um, and then uh, our Nebraska Supreme Court reversed um, that decision by the uh, Nebraska district court. Um, so we're starting things out on a reversal. Yes, wow. which is uh, so exciting. I mean, talk about we we get uh, something right out of the gates where we are uh, overturning and making uh, a little bit of law here. Interesting. So somebody uh, got divorced in Venezuela? Got divorced in Venezuela. Um, another party said, hey, you know, we actually weren't divorced and, uh, you know, we need to deal with uh, all of the uh, issues that come along with a divorce here in Nebraska. Um, and the other party said, nope, we're already done. And so uh, filed a motion to dismiss based on that. Again, the district court granted that. Um, and our Supreme Court uh, decided to uh, reverse. Um, the primary uh, things that were addressed within this opinion, I think, uh, where their uh, value, where uh, the value in this opinion comes from, um, is that uh we, we get a, a pretty good discussion of uh, what exactly is jurisdictional uh, for 
uh, marriage issues in uh, district court. Um, and uh, essentially, the Supreme Court discusses here um, the difference between uh, subject matter jurisdiction and uh, comedy of um, accepting a, a judgment from a foreign court. So and, did they accept the, the judgment from Venezuela or not? Well, essentially, they said is what they said is this isn't even about that. Uh, they dismissed it based on the subject matter jurisdiction. But where our Supreme Court distinguished is the fact that uh, they said that the district court should have found that they did have subject matter jurisdiction, that subject matter jurisdiction is separate from uh, deciding whether there's uh -huh. comedy and whether or not we um, accept a foreign judgment. And essentially, they should have had jurisdiction. Uh, we should have gone farther into this case and figure out whether figured out whether or not this uh, Venezuelan divorce decree actually was valid and whether or not we should give it um, so its full credence. Send it back to go look send, at that. Yep, exactly. So send it back to say that, yes, we have subject matter jurisdiction, but we need to go back and deal with whether or not uh, this Venezuelan divorce decree was, um, in fact, enforceable. Exciting. Oh, very. So exciting. <laughs> so we don't know whether the uh, divorce decree from Venezuela is going to be enforced. Or we do not. I Exciting times, right? We will wait. All right. So we'll find that out. If, if you got something with a, a foreign uh, decree or somebody trying to dismiss on you, that might be something to take a look at, right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, I had uh, State v. Ali. Well, I'm fairly confident about that name, by the way. <laughs> I'm pretty confident. Confident at least about the name. I'm, I'm confident about the name. Uh, the rest, this is kind of a, a weird factual situ situation. Uh, it's out of Hall County. Uh, it was affirmed. And um, basically what happened here, there was a trial back in 2013 and there was a, a jury trial and then there was a uh, allegation from the victim who said that, uh, you know, some other guy that uh, another doctor uh, inappropriately touched her and they were trying to get that in under 403. And there was a, it was a 2013 trial, and then he went back. The, the defendant here was from Australia. So he goes to Australia, and he was gone for a really long time, and then they finally got him back to the United States. And um, the takeaway here, it ended up being they said, oh, no harm, no foul. You know, he, he wasn't able to do it. But the interesting thing to me was that the district court judge at the time um, ruled one way and said, I'm going to let it in. Right at the end of the day in this jury trial, in this first day jury trial, and then he comes into court the next day and basically says, "You know what? I slept on it. I'm going to not let it in." Um, and to me, that the the takeaway from that is like you might as well try something. You might as well try to get some evidence, and you might as well try and do that because um, you know, and make sure your jury trials last at least two days so that the judge can get some sleep and maybe have a different view the next day. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing um, for that. So I, I think it was affirmed. The The useful part about it is a good discussion of 403 evidence uh, and and uh, whether and uh, 412 evidence from prior allegation and whether it is the prejudicial uh, factor outweighs the, the probative value. So that's that's what I think is interesting about this case. Um, other than that, I think it's uh, fairly routine. So when in doubt, try to get something. I mean, yeah. try. And, I might as well try it. Try and try and uh, try and get it in, and then if you know the judges are human and they might change their mind, uh, especially during the fog of a jury trial, that might happen. Uh, so that's you know that's uh, what I think the takeaway is from there. Perfect. 
Uh, I believe the next case that we had listed uh, was mine, which is State v. Warren, uh, 312 Nebraska, 991. Uh, this was uh, a case where Warren was convicted of disturbing the peace. Uh, he appealed that conviction to the district court, um, and that's where the issues kind of start to arise. Uh, he timely appealed. Um, there was a bill of exceptions created. However, um, Warren failed to uh, file a statement of errors within 10 days of the bill of exceptions, um, and therefore uh, the court um, reviewed only for plain error um, rather than um, a, a, uh, st the list of statement of errors and um, affirmed. Uh, Warren appealed um, that denial um, and asked to reconsider, saying that um, he should be allowed to uh, file a statement of errors and that um, the appellate court should be able to reconsider um, that filed statement of errors. Um, the issue that existed there was that there were briefs um, that were presented by both uh, parties uh, based on that bill of exceptions and that appeal from the county court. Uh, however, uh, the Supreme Court uh, stated that their um, briefs were not in the appellate record and um, therefore, even though the district court had considered the briefs, uh, which had uh, the um, which had the statement of errors in them, they were not part of the appellate record, and therefore, uh, the Supreme Court was not able to consider uh, those had they even wanted to. Because so of those okay, so they were trying to backdoor the statement of errors through a court of through appeals. Through a yep, yeah. exactly through through briefs um, that had been filed uh, with the district court saying, hey, we had. Uh, the statement of errors in these briefs. Now look at the statement of errors that is in these briefs. Uh, the Supreme Court says, hey, uh, we don't have the briefs. And oh, by the way, even though uh, the or even though the district court uh, only reviewed for plain error, they did listen to um, the issues that you had highlighted in your briefs, uh, meaning that while on the face value it was only plain error, you already got the opportunity to have your statement of errors within the briefs. The district court got to consider that, um, and therefore uh, there was no prejudice there. But uh, the district court didn't actually get to consider that because they didn't get them in within 10 days. Well, they didn't get them in within 10 days, but they were contained within the briefs. So oh, they said okay. that they considered them within their opinion. Gotcha. The other interesting part there that I thought was the fact that they said that there was no prejudice for an effect assistance of counsel uh, because there was not an actual forfeiture of appeal. So the right was the right to appeal, mm. not the right to actually have the statement of errors. And therefore, even though it changed the standard to be just plain error, uh, yeah. they looked at that as not being ineffective assistance of counsel. So cool. uh, that, yeah, those are kind of the, the valuable pieces. And then just to, to uh, make briefs part of your appellate record if you want that considered. I think that's kind of an interesting side note and practice okay. note for something like that. Briefs part of the appellate record, like you're at the trial court level, you you think I need to file it or make it an exhibit or what do I need to do for the brief? Yeah, so I think if saying? it's a, yeah, so I think if it's a letter brief, which is what most of us were used to doing before e-filing, now right. where we e-file them, I mean my my understanding would be that that would probably be part of the record, but uh, you know it, it would probably be an understanding now that if you have a letter brief and you want that to be considered as part of the appellate record, you need to have that marked more than likely at that hearing where you're having that and weird. that way it gets it is weird and but clearly i mean clearly the supreme court saying that the briefs could have been part of the record 
and or should have been but part the brief, of the record. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Evidence. I, I don't, I mean, it's just argument. It's I just mean, argument. You, you can put it in the, I get e-filing that and maybe e-filing it confidential or whatever, but um, I don't see it as evidence. But anyway, um, that's for another day, I suppose, right? Yeah, well, and I, yeah, poor Mr. Warren, I guess he didn't, didn't get a chance it in to know. All right. So uh, I had State v. Um, Gothic. <laughs> I'm looking for you for validation. <laughs> for, yes, for, yeah, let's go with Gothic. I think Gothic. that sounds okay, right. Gothic. Gothic. Uh, Gothic, this is actually this is actually kind of interesting. Um, it's a venue, a, a criminal case, obviously, but it's a venue issue within terroristic threats. The uh, defendant was in Iowa. The victim was in Nebraska, and he uh, calls the victim on the phone, and uh, that's where the threatening statements were allegedly made or, or made. Uh, now that it's proven, but um, so it was a phone call. Um, and then he made those statements and then his claim and he is heavily litigated like this is fully litigated on, on whether venue would be appropriate in Nebraska or whether the, uh, you know, alleged crime at the time, uh, occurred in Iowa. So super, uh, litigated, it goes into what the, the term is, um, jurisdiction. They, they ultimately find that jurisdiction is proper in Nebraska. If any element of the crime occurred within Nebraska. So when you go into the elements of terroristic threats, you're like terroristic threats threatening another. So they fully litigated the term what another means and whether it's another person in, an, in another state. I think there's some, uh, basically whether it's an inchoate crime, you know, whether it's just within you, your thoughts and th- stuff like that, or whether you actually need to threaten somebody else and they actually need to hear it. Um, I think it gets kind of dicey, and, and maybe this is a hypothetical for another day, but if you, you're like at a phone call, and you're driving and you're making a threat to somebody and you're in Douglas County. And then all of a sudden, you know, during the call where it gets more aggressive, then all of a sudden you're in Sarby County. Like if you're driving, I'm wondering like how you would prove which County you're in. Not my problem. Cause I'm not a prosecutor, but at the same time, like that seems to be something that people might want to look out for. So the value is in where the the person who is making the call is not where the person receiving the call is or we know that the person receiving the call wherever they are i think we're meeting an element yeah as long as as long as we know one of either one of them right if we know where they are but you know hypothetically this is a crazy world we live in and they could be both driving and in different counties and you never know when does it constantly changing yes constantly changing so when is the level of the threat I think if you've got, you know, an issue like that where people are traveling and there's a, a threat being made, I think it's something interesting to look into. And, and this was obviously a very good discussion about venue uh, in criminal matters and in, in terroristic threats and the elements of that. So I think that was a valuable case. Uh, next, we come to uh, State v. Jennings, 312, Nebraska, 1020. Um, Jennings was... Um, filing for post-conviction relief from a sentence on first-degree murder, use of a weapon to commit a felony, and possession by a prohibited person. Uh, was, of course, had life in prison because of the first-degree murder and then uh, sub- significant amounts of time on the other two um, convictions. Uh, this was, the post-conviction relief was affirmed by the district court uh, without an evidentiary hearing. Uh, the two kind of primary issues were, one, 
uh, whether there had to be an evidentiary hearing, and then two, whether or not the defendant had a right to respond to the state prior to the dismissal of the motion for post-conviction relief. And the interesting part here is that the Supreme Court says that there is no inherent right for the defendant to respond to the state uh, in a motion for post-conviction relief, but that even um, you know were, were that to exist, the defendant had ample amounts of time to respond to the state here. So they essentially said that while you have no right, a defendant could respond to the state uh, in a in filing for a post-conviction relief, which I guess would look like a responsive brief in an appellate uh, setting. So a defendant, I guess, has that ability, but they just don't have that right. And that's essentially what uh, Jennings illustrates. And so there is no ability. You aren't guaranteed the ability to re- file a responsive pleading or any sort of answer to the state uh, on a motion for post-conviction relief. Hey, that's it. Right? There we go. That's, hey, that's it. Fun. Okay. Well, we're a little over point two this time because we had to do the, the why are we here junk Intro, yeah. and then uh, other stuff. So we'll be back uh, with another episode. Uh, do you hate me now? I mean, are we done? No, I think we've done great. I, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I look for. Well, at least I have to keep reading them. Well, you have to keep reading them. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to let this resolution go away. Yeah, you no, know, we got to do it. No, we got to make uh, it at least the second week of January. The second week, we'll do it at least once. You got to go up to the, you got to go to the gym. You know, the first weekend, we got to hit it hard. You got to hit it hard, and then you know, you just kind of relax a little bit, and then you know, maybe you get sick. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe you get tired or maybe you know by the time the super bowl hits we're true like, yeah no, i'm just not gonna go today yeah and what's the, one day yeah what's one day and then one day what does it turn into 2024 that's what one day turns into <laughs> you know i'm gonna start a fresh start <laughs> turns into a new new year's resolution all right well this is uh point two law review brought to you by anderson klein brewster and brant in carney nebraska holdridge and menden i'm john brant i'm carson messersmith and we'll See you next week.